We're looking at the Gospel of John this morning, chapter 9. I'm going to read the first five verses. John chapter 9, verse 1 states, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The theme for our year, Redeeming the Time in 2020, and we started with Ephesians 5.16, and then each month we've had a parallel verse that uh, we have used for our verse of the month. And this month, we're using uh, John chapter 9, verse 6 as a reminder that we need to redeem the time. The first Sunday of each month, we have actually looked at the verse of the month and spent time considering uh, something in regard to the aspect of our testimony, our walk with the Lord, our stance before the world. And uh, for example, in February, we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10, considering a time to work. In March, it was Romans chapter 13, verse 11, a time to wake. In June, Colossians chapter 4, 5, a time to walk. In July, 2 Timothy 4, 3, a time to warn. Last month, it was uh, Psalm 90, verse 12, a time to be wise. And today, we'll consider John chapter 9, verse 4, a time to to witness. I'd like to take just a few moments this morning to kind of give you some background information about what's going on in this passage of Scripture so we understand the context and the mindset of the disciples as they watched our Lord perform this miracle. This verse speaks of the work of Christ performed in healing this particular man of blindness. Blindness in Scripture is both literal and symbolic. Blindness was caused by environmental conditions, illness, disease, or even punishment. Now it's interesting to note this is the only miracle in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the only miracle in which the sufferer is said to have been afflicted from the time of his birth. In Acts, we have two other examples of this, where you have the lame man at the beautiful gate of the temple in Acts chapter 3 verse 2, and then the cripple at Lystra in Acts 14.8. But this is the only occurrence in the gospel records of a man who was inflicted with an ailment from the time of his birth. Well, not only does blindness caused by these conditions, but its symbolic form depicts ignorance, error, and spiritual darkness. It pictures the effect Satan produces on the minds of people when he presents to them false teachings, erroneous doctrines, and baseless theories. For example, two verses of scripture, our Lord in Matthew chapter 15 verse 14 said, Let them alone, they be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. We use that phrase today, the blind leading the blind, or the blind leaders of the blind. That goes back to this verse, and our Lord warns of that danger. Also, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the scripture states, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, 
lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So in both those passages, as well as many others, we see the symbolism associated with this blindness. When the disciples saw this man, they used the opportunity to ask Jesus a question about a problem that was prevalent in the day and kind of infiltrated, if you will, the Jewish thought. And that was that when someone suffered from affliction, it was the result of sin. That's a mindset that many people have today. I did something wrong, so I'm punished. Or, or I'm being punished, so I must have done something wrong. This was the attitude Job's friends had when they met with him. If you read the book of Job, these friends came and sat with him and spent all this time with him and their attitude and their approach was, you did wrong and God is punishing you for it. Understand that every affliction, every accident, every injury, every ailment, every disease does not come as a result of God punishing us. So many people have this concept or this idea that God sits up in heaven and he's like this angry old man that's just looking for an opportunity to squish somebody. As soon as we do something wrong, it's like, there, that'll teach you. Not the case at all. God is love. He is love and demonstrates that love in a multitude of ways. One way in which he demonstrates his love is whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Yes, he cares enough about us to correct us when we do wrong, but also he loves us enough to be tried in certain situations to assure us we can trust in him. That was the dealing with with Job. The whole book of Job. Job went through all this and there's all this discussion about Job's suffering, but there was never a reason given other than God would get the glory. Think about Paul, one of the greatest Christians that ever lived. Author of, human author, of 13 or 14 books of the New Testament. He suffered with a particular affliction. We're not exactly sure what it was, but it was significant enough that it bothered Paul. He said three times he asked God to heal him. God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for thee. We forget that God demonstrates his love to us in a variety of ways. He demonstrates his love by pouring out his goodness upon us, by opening the windows of heaven and bestowing his blessings upon us. But he also demonstrates his love by correcting us that our hearts might be right with him. Well, when the disciples saw this blind man, they took opportunity to ask Jesus the question, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, the Jews connected suffering and sin and worked on the assumption that whenever there was suffering, somewhere there was sin. Jesus wasn't interested in discussing some theological question or theoretical position at this time. His goal wasn't to satisfy people's curiosity. His goal was to do the work of God. Healing the blind man was a part of Christ's service in doing the will of God. This action is a statement about Christian service. We're going to examine three aspects of Christ's compassion for the lost. 
and how we're to follow that example this morning. We're going to consider the matter of responsibility, the matter of accountability, and the matter of dependability. We're looking, of course, at this passage in light of the symbolism represented here. Blindness, spiritual darkness. For John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus starts out by saying, I must work. The importance of our Christian work is found in the word must. It emphasizes compulsion and necessity, and it gives the task a very high priority. You see, our Lord establishes a sense of urgency here in this setting. No questions, no suggestions, no urgings about the matter. The work of God must be done. And until we as God's people come to the point in our own minds and hearts that we are determined that the work of God must be done in and through us, we're going to be far less effective in our witness for the Lord than otherwise. You see, we need to work because the great need of all mankind. As we said, this blindness represents uh, spiritual darkness. It was the sin of Adam that brought about the fall of the entire human race. We understand that, but many people today do not. Genesis chapter 3 verse 17 tells us, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. You see, it was the sin of Adam. Adam chose to rebel against God, violating God's word. As a result, the entire human race was plunged into sin. This is confirmed in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. This is the state of all mankind today. I realize people will disagree with that. They'll argue, they'll deny, they'll debate. But if you believe the word of God then we accept as fact this statement that everyone is born into this world in sin as a result of Adam's rebellion against God. The only exception to that would be the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he was born of a virgin, because the bloodline is carried through the Father, and as a result, that sin nature didn't pass on to Jesus, because he had no human father, he had a heavenly father. He is the only one born sinless. He is the only one who can do anything to help those who are born in sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 21. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's why God had to allow his son Jesus to be born as a man so that through him mankind might be delivered. And it was Christ's responsibility to provide the means of redemption for all mankind. 
You see, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came to this world. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now that the way of salvation has been paved, the burden of responsibility falls upon God's church, God's people, to continue in this task. You see, when Jesus Christ passed off the scene, when he ascended into heaven, that didn't mean the work of God on earth stopped. It must continue. It must be done. And since he's not here to do it, that mantle falls on us. That's why we have what we call the Great Commission. Jesus said, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. He said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's important for us to understand this task that stands before us is our responsibility to fulfill. So yes, it is a time for us to witness to others. The question is, are we willing to accept the responsibility that's given us? Some of you might remember this particular story. Of course, it goes back about two decades but it's of an occurrence in New York City. Kitty Genovese was slowly and brutally stabbed to death. At least 38 of her neighbors witnessed the attack and heard her screams. In the course of the 90-minute episode, her attacker was actually frightened away. Then he returned to finish her off. Yet not once during that period of time did any neighbor assist her or even telephone the police. The implications of this tragic event shocked America and it stimulated two young psychologists to study the conditions under which people are or are not willing to help others in an emergency. The conclusion was the more people present in an emergency situation, the less likely it is that any will offer help. It's referred to as the bystander mentality. You know, God's people can't afford to have a bystander mentality when it comes to reaching the lost for Christ. We need to look around us and see there is a work to be done. There are people all around us every day who desperately need the Lord. First, we consider the, the, the matter of the responsibility to witness. How about the accountability? We have the matter of accountability in John chapter five, 9, verse 4, on um, this second phrase, I must work the works of him that sent me. You know, it's one thing to be willing to help others, but it's another matter altogether to help in a right and an appropriate way and for the right reason. Our motive for reaching others ought to be our love for God and our desire to obey him. Notice he said, I I must work the works of him that sent me. Jesus came to do the will of his Father. We see that over and over again in Scripture. John 4, 34. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. John 5, 36. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, those same works I do. And John 17, 4. I have glorified thee in earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. That was Jesus' declaration during his high priestly prayer. 
in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his crucifixion. He said, I did what you gave me to do. How blessed is the person who can look back and say, I finished the task given to me. There's a work to do, but all as we approach it, we must be willing to do what has been given to us, and we need to be willing to do it according to the guidelines, according to the edict of the one who's tasked us with that endeavor. What is his work? Presenting the gospel. Matthew chapter, what is it, chapter 28, another part of the Great Commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We are to preach and to teach. Breaking it down, we are to go and tell others the good news. Now we can spend our, not our time talking to people about things that are of interest to us, or we can talk to them about things that are of interest to them, but is that going to matter in the long run? No. What matters is what's important to the Lord. And a lot of people in so-called religious circles today have forgotten that. They're interested, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with being interested in these things. However, they detract from the gospel message. They want to set up medical centers, orphanages, food banks, shelters, thrift stores. They want to have all different kinds of activities and events to appease their community. You know, you hear a lot about that today. You want to be a part of the community. We do want to be a part of the community. However, we are separate from that in that we have a different mandate than those around us. The lost will promote that which is important to their world philosophy. Our world philosophy is what? It is a biblical world philosophy. And as such, we recognize the importance of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? According to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scripture. Anybody that believes in Jesus Christ and repents of their sin and receives him as their savior, they're going to go to heaven. Anybody who does not is going to miss out on going to heaven. It's as simple as that. It's a one way or the other matter. The work of God is that the people of the world would find out there is a way to get to heaven, and that way is Jesus Christ. Any religious organization that promotes anything other than that, or anything in place of that, is missing the mark, and they're not doing the work of God. came across this last week. I won't mention the name, but this is Austin, Texas. A local progressive pastor is reassuring her nervous parishioners after one of them accidentally got a hold of the book of Revelation. Can you imagine? Ooh, somebody accidentally read a book in the Bible. This, this woman, I won't mention her name, spoke to her church after they found themselves so convicted of sin and fearful of judgment that they were considering believing in Jesus. Wow, you think about that. They read a word of God, they came with a conviction, and they were considering trusting Christ as Savior. Good news, right? She said, no, don't worry. Everyone gets to heaven, so you have nothing to worry about. Except 
get this, except for racists and homophobes. But you are all strong voices for social justice and LBGTQ issues, so you have nothing to fear. Yes, this lesbian woman minister, so-called, assures her folks hell isn't real. She said, no, all that stuff in the book of Revelation is just symbolic. The moon turning to blood, darkness, the lake of fire, those are all just metaphors for how nonviolent and peaceful judgment day will be. Seriously, only racists go to hell. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Somewhere along the line, entire denominations have turned away from the truth of the Word of God. They're no longer concerned about His work. Now what's important is their work. That they might have that good standing in the community. That they might be accepted by the world. The world is never going to accept Christianity. It has never been a friend of God and never will be. So we need to get that notion out of our minds altogether. Understanding that the devil is the head of all that is taking place in the world today. He is the prince of the power of the air. And he is involved in principalities and powers in high places. And he's going to do all he can to deceive and to destroy and to discredit God and his word. He's not going to accomplish that. But he's going to be able to influence millions to turn away from the Lord. And he's using voices like that false prophet, that apostate I just read to you about. We need to be careful to understand we're doing his work not our own. Too many people today are working for that old pat on the back. Ooh, didn't I do a good job? Ooh, look at me. Ooh, how sad. One day we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to give an account of what we did and why we did it. Dr. Bob Jones says the religion of the world says do and live. The religion of the Bible says live and do. Too many people today trying to work their way to heaven, trying to find a way to please God and gain his favor. When all, if they'd only recognize that they simply, like the repentant man on the street, cry out to God, God be merciful to me, a sinner. A.W. Tozier, great preacher of yesteryear, said, religion today is not transforming the people. It is being transformed by the people. It is not raising the moral and level of society. It is descending to society's level and congratulating itself that it has scored a victory because society is smiling and accepting their surrender. Many religious entities today are satisfied with walking in step with the world, its philosophy, It's ideology. How few today are standing and declaring, thus saith the Lord. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and many other prophets of their day, they weren't popular, but they were right because they were concerned about doing the work of God. We need to be busy about reaching people today with the gospel message Yes, it's time to work.
We look at the matter of responsibility, the matter of accountability, and quickly, the matter of dependability. In our text, John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me, when? While it is day, the night cometh, when no man can work. To be a good steward of our time, we need to be a witness while we have the opportunity to do so. Farmers for many years have said you need to make hay while the sun shines. Well, this emphasizes the duration that we shine as lights for Christ. We believe the Lord would have us as his saints faithfully fulfill his duty as a witness until the Lord calls us home. The phrase, while it is day, expresses two ideas. First, it indicates a given time in which something can be accomplished. Second, it suggests there is a limit to a person's life and work. Yes, cessation of labor will come. Opportunities to serve the Lord will cease. As we emphasize this matter of its time to witness, there is a time to witness because there's a a time coming when we won't have the opportunity to do so. John 12, 35, Jesus said, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. You see, the phrase, the night cometh when no man can work, here represents death. The reality of what's being said here by our Lord is he is well aware of the fact Calvary's hill looms in the near future. For this passage is written just a few months before Christ's crucifixion. He knows he has little time left in which to teach his disciples. He knows he has little time left to accomplish his Father's will. He's passing that burden that responsibility, that accountability to his disciples so that they in turn might be dependable and that they would carry on his work beyond the time when he dies to the time when they would pass from this planet. And that responsibility is given to us. And I believe God is looking for us to be dependable, to be faithful, to be steadfast, to do his work while we have time to do so. Too many today. Again, back to that bystander mentality when they they stand off to the side and they look and say, well, somebody else can do it. I've done it long enough. It's somebody else's turn. No. The time to stop living for the Lord is when? When we take that last breath, our work on earth is done. Jesus Christ, the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon, the bright and morning star, left his home in glory to come here to earth to do his Father's will. And before he left, he gave us the task of carrying on that work until he calls us home. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Too many saying, I'll wait till tomorrow. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. 
2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 tells us, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If today is the day of salvation for the lost, is it not also the day of service for we who are saved? Let's not put off what God desires us to do right now. That we might with Jesus say, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Yes, it's time to witness. We need to be compassionate. Four times in this chapter, people ask this blind man who is healed, how were you healed? It's in verses 9, 15, 19, and 26. But all those people were asking the wrong question. They shouldn't have been asking how, but they should have been asking who. You realize you just take the last letter of how, move it to the beginning, and you have who. You see, it changes the whole emphasis of the thought. It was the Lord Jesus Christ that performed that miracle. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who saves us and makes us new creatures in him. We ought to be pointing people to him not expressing our desires, our interests, our goals, our beliefs. You know what you and I believe really matters nothing to others? They need to know what God's word tells us. Let me close with this thought. The New Testament record tells of 40 people, each suffering from the same disease, who were healed by Jesus. Of this number, 34, we either brought to Jesus by friends or he was taken to them. Only six cases out of the 40 did the sufferers find their way to Jesus without assistance. Of the vast number of people who find their way to Jesus today, most of them reach him because their friends told them of Jesus out of a love and concern for their soul. People need to be reached with the gospel message Just because the church doors are open doesn't mean people are going to flock in to see what we have. We need to go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. We need to be willing to go and tell, not just sit and wait. Now is the time to witness. Now is the time to be compassionate. Are we willing to take up the mantle and demonstrate our obedience to the Lord by being responsible, accountable, and dependable to reach the lost for Christ. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work.